You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Hunting Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we are joined by Ryan Muckenhern is his name, and I had to, I had to write that out phonetically uh, in order to say it right, and he works at Vortex. He's kind of like a jack-of-all-trades guy out there at Vortex, and this guy knows about firearms, guns, hunting guns specifically. And I'm going to tell you right now, if there's one thing that I don't know anything about, it is firearms. I am a bow hunter. If you were going to put a label on me, I am a bow hunter. And I felt I was doing this podcast a disservice by not talking about firearms. So I bring Ryan in who is somewhat of a specialist to talk about firearms. Um, a lot of the conversation revolves around rifles. Um, we talk about shotguns just for a little bit, but I'm thinking I'm going to bring that up in a different episode. So with that said, this is a, a rifle hunting um, episode where we talk about all of the, to- all of the topics, uh, whether you're new to gun hunting or you're experienced uh, with firearms we talk a little bit about everything we keep it fairly high level so that we don't want to get people too confused about the topics uh especially myself as the host who knows nothing about firearms um ryan does a really good job of simplifying everything and uh saying exactly what needs to be said to get the information out to you Um, So again, and like I mentioned in this podcast, if you have any questions about firearms, whether it's for a Vortex um, optic or not, reach out to Vortex. They have an entire staff there that wants to help you out, and uh, they will help you out, whether that's through email, phone call, uh, Vortex. The guys who work at Vortex are the shit, hands up, hands down. So uh, reach out to them if you have any questions about really anything. They will. They the guy even said, "Hey, if you have a question about boots, they don't make boots, but that's how that's what they want to to do to help their anybody anybody who uh, wants to get in the outdoors." So 
Huge shout out to Vortex. Huge shout out to Ryan for making time to come on this podcast today. Uh, let's get into some commercials real quick. We have the Average Conservationist, an awesome apparel line, um, a lifestyle brand. These guys have some really, not only are they cool logo tees, but they're very comfortable. Um, and they are they have that fit. I call it the... Uh, the, the dad bod fit where it make they make you look good because they're tight around the arms and the upper chest and then they're a little bit loose around the love handle area and I'm gonna say this uh, yeah I've, I've lost a little weight but I still have love handles I don't know if I'm ever gonna get rid of those but wearing the wearing those t-shirts uh, make me look pretty good and I and I I like that so um, on top of the, the style, the logos, the hoodies, the t-shirts, the hats. Um, love that style. These guys give 10% of all of their profits to a conservation effort. And that's right off the top before they do anything else with that money. And this gets them 2% for conservation certified. They have a podcast here on the Sportsman's Nation as well under the same name, The Average Conservationist. So it's just a really good brand with the focus of giving back to the natural resource that we all take from. So to find out more about their apparel line and what those guys are doing, hit up theaverageconservationist.com. And you can enter a discount code for 10% off of your products. And that's NFC10. And that's going to get you 10% off. The next is HuntStand. You can go to HuntStand.com. You can go to your Google App Store or your Google Play Store, wherever you download your apps. You can download it for free. But then if you want to upgrade to the Pro, I think it's the Pro or the Elite level, um, it's only 40 bucks a year. Now compare that with all the other uh, mapping software out there for hunters. That is, it's, it's way more affordable. And at the same time, they have a much more uh, robust platform with a ton of functionality, right? A ton of functionality, whether you're looking for um, the most up-to-date satellite imagery that they rotate out monthly. Uh, if you're looking for uh, property owners, if you're looking for boundaries, if you're looking for public land, you know, uh, wind direction, weather, um, uh, organizing your trail camera pictures, this app does all of that. Uh, so to find out more information about HuntStand, how you can use it, visit HuntStand.com. And then what else are we going to do here? Lone Wolf. Hey man, I'm just going to say this. If you're looking to be, take, you know, go to the next level and really get aggressive, be a mobile hunter, um, learn how to hunt deer in any terrain, in any scenario. You need to pick up the gear that allows you to do that. And the gear that allows me to do that is Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands. Um, my go-to running gun setup is four climbing sticks and the assault that allows me to get in the right tree, not the close enough tree but the right tree that's going to give me the best shot opportunity on whatever it is I'm trying to hunt. And again, uh, any, any purchase over, if you enter this discount code, you can get a, uh, uh, a discount of 50 bucks on all purchases over $200. So you buy a tree stand, enter the discount code, 50% off or $50 off, excuse me, $50 off. So that's saving you somewhere between 18 and uh, 25 five percent depending on the product that you buy no brainer uh check out lone wolf uh, portable tree stands and other than that 
let's get into today's uh, firearm-focused episode. Uh, hopefully, you guys enjoy it. I know I learned. I definitely learned something today. So, enjoy. Three, two, one. All right. On the phone with me today, Mr. Ryan Muckenhern. Ryan, how are we doing, man? I'm living the dream, my friend. How are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. So I have uh, I have a little confession to make, uh, and it's the reason that uh, you are on the phone with me today. Um, so I got a couple buddies over at Vortex Optics where you work, and I'm like, hey, man, I, I feel like I'm doing the listeners of the Hunting Gear podcast a disservice because I don't ever talk about anything firearms because I don't know anything about firearms. I don't know. Sure. I, I don't know anything. So I, I uh, gave Sawyer uh, a quick text message real quick, and then he basically uh, connected the two of us. And you're going to be the firearm expert on today's episode. I'm honored. <laughs> All right. So before we get started, Ryan, why don't you tell everybody what it is that you do at Vortex? Sure, sure. So I work with the consumer sales and technical group here at the shop um, and then cross-functionally with departments like the marketing department, repair departments, warranty, um, kind of anybody I can I can hold an audience with. Um, so if, you, if you've got questions on rifle scopes, binoculars, spotting scopes, range finders, red dots, any product that we make from uh, a how-to, a why, a where, and a when – uh, that's when you give us a holler and, and we get you pointed in the right direction. Or if you want to talk about bullets and which ones to use or what boots to wear or anything under the sun out of doors, that is what we specialize in. That's awesome. So you're almost you're almost like a, a counselor. Like uh, we, I like the way you put that. Yeah, <laughs> it's like all right, don't fret. I'm here. I got your back. Here's, yeah. here's what let's uh let's let's uh wade through the waters a little bit and and we'll come out on the other end in a better place. In fact, right. Cool. All right, Ryan. So, um, like I said, the, my, here is my, I'm a bow hunter. If I'm going to put a a definition on myself or a badge on myself, it's going to say bow hunter. All right. Mm -hmm. I do gun hunt, but I gun hunt turkeys and I've gun hunted pheasants and, uh, very little deer, but it's all been with the exact same gun, a 20 gauge Moss Mossberg, pump with uh two and three quarter inch shells whatever whether that's mm-hmm. a slug or bird shot okay mm-hmm. so and, I, and i've i've done pretty good throughout the years especially on turkey hunting with with that particular gun now uh when it when we start getting beyond that i don't know anything I couldn't, I couldn't tell you how to attach a scope to a rifle. I couldn't tell you how to sight it in. I couldn't tell you calibers. I couldn't talk about ammunition, anything like that. So, and like I said, that's what, that's what I want to talk about today. And, mm-hmm. um, when it comes to, and I just want to get your opinion on this first, when it comes to trying to find a gun, whether that's for bird hunting upland or duck hunting or turkey hunting or even uh, a bigger gun for uh big game deer you know maybe even up to moose or 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 elk or whatnot what are some of the things uh categories per se that uh, someone would want to look at before purchasing a gun for whatever it is they're going to try to shoot sure so with a broad stroke I would say one, what's your price point? And, and let's be a realistic, you know, if you open up a gun magazine or if you hop on the internet, you're going to hear 100,000 opinions on what is the best gun. 
Um, and the short answer is like, what, whichever one works for you, but what can you afford? Um, once you've established that baseline, you can you can really kind of narrow down what, what we're trying to get into here. Um, two, enough gun. Um, and I think there's an opportunity for a big game hunter, especially with a rifle, to find a gun that's enough to do anything that you would want to comfortably. Um, and by comfortably, I mean literally. Is it going to beat you up when you're shooting it? Um, or is it going to be enough to, to ethically take that animal? Um, so, I mean, everybody, myself included, I have opinions on calibers that I think are inadequate, adequate, or over the top. Um, and I have opinions on rifles that I think are, um, you know, worth spending more on, certainly acceptable and too much um, from, from a price perspective. But but that's individual to, of course, the individual. So if if you have an established budget, fantastic. Um, let's let's hone it in from there and figure it out. Yeah. Um, the, the caliber is a much slipperier debate. Um, this is so much deeper than the Ford Chevy debate. Um, it comes down to a lot of, of personal preference. Um, even like there's a psychological component to it. Like, do you feel you're bringing enough gun? Um, are your buddies razzing you about the caliber choice you've made? Is that going to shake your confidence? And what can you comfortably practice with and affordably practice with uh, to be effective? Um, you know, so if you want me to back up a little bit and like look at the game species that you've talked about, whitetail, yeah. mule deer, elk, moose, caribou. Um, let me let me ask you this. You know, yeah. I can go to Google and I mm-hmm. can Google, you know, what gun is best for deer hunting or sure. whatever, whatever uh, species I'm hunting. But how mm-hmm. does a guy know, like, like what you said here, enough gun? How do you know if you have enough gun? That is a fantastic question. Um, I would say for big game, and again, understand the subjectivity to this statement that I'm going to make, but for big game, say 300 pounds and less, something six millimeter and something that can push a bullet between 80 and 110 grains to around 2,800 to 3,200 feet per second should usually do it. There's a a lot of folks that'll say, well, you need a thousand foot pounds of energy as a minimum. And I don't think that's a bad rule of thumb. And actually a lot of state game agencies mandate, um, you know, energy minimums at, at a, at a given distance or, or at the muzzle, I should say a thousand foot pounds is like the, I've heard a lot of people throw that around as like, well, that's the distance and the energy level at which you cut it off. And, and so if it's like a thousand foot pounds at 400 yards, you're okay. Um, but I should, I should reel myself back in here. Some states, in fact, many states, have a minimum muzzle energy requirement. And so there's a great place to start. Okay. Um, if we're looking at popular calibers, I'm thinking 243, 25-06, um, 257 Roberts, 6.5 Creedmoor, 6-millimeter Creedmoor, things like this generally will satiate the, the legal requirement for big game in a, in a given state. But you still ask a great question, like, is it enough? Um, and I think the conversation gets a little bit deeper when we start looking at the individual shooter and their, their capability level. And then two, well, what kind of bullets are we shooting? Because this is a big part of the conversation as well. So you as an avid bow hunter do the majority of your target practice with field points, I'm going to assume, um, and then switch to a, a broadhead of some kind um, while you're hunting. And your bow doesn't really know the difference between the two from like an energy standpoint, right? 
um, but they have drastically different results on target. So when selecting, you know, enough guns, so to speak, along with that comes not only a minimum caliber requirement or a minimum energy requirement, but a, a, an appropriate projectile selection. And, and that component can be a huge swing point on the selection of a given cartridge or caliber for a given species. Um, so looking back, like I've taken mule deer with 243, 308, 30-06, 300 Wisdom, 300 Weatherby, um, 257 Weatherby, a handful of other centerfire cartridges, right? Um, and they've all worked fabulously, but on the lower end of that caliber spectrum, um, I'm being a lot more particular about my bullet selection in order to ensure that I have a bullet that is adequate for penetration, um, for breaking through bone, um, good expansion, and then weight retention. Um, so big asterisk behind enough gun is also enough bullet, or the right bullet, rather. Um, because just like shooting a field point out of your bow doesn't give you really any different number um, off the chronograph or on the energy scale. It has a drastically different outcome after it hits something. Right. Um, so picking one, an adequate caliber, enough energy, enough muzzle velocity, and then two, um, a bullet that's outstanding when it hits, you know, a target, an animal. Yeah. Uh, Where does yeah. range come into this? Right, because there's certain states where there's sure. maybe uh, or places that you're hunting ton of cover. Your 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 range isn't going to be very far. And then there's other sure. states, let's say out west, where you can shoot as far as you want. You know what I yeah. mean? Uh, so yep. so how how does that play into the decision of what gun to use or or think about getting? Sure. So I'm going to do a compare and contrast between two adequate center fires for big game. Um, Thirty thirty Winchester and 300 Winchester Magnum. Both of them are 30 caliber. Both of them could fire same or similar weight projectiles. They have two drastically different trajectories. Um, it's pretty wildly or widely accepted that a 30-30 is a, a closer range gun. We're going to just say 200 yards and in. Um, and would be effective for hunting, you know, even up to elk in tight cover. Um, a 300 Win Mag is a much better option for uh, longer distances. If you're going to be hunting big sage country, like for pronghorn, mule deer, or elk, um, you know, places where you're going to encounter distances three, four, five, or more in hundreds of yards, um, the 300 Winchester is going to be a remarkably better option. And when you're looking at that recipe for success, it's, it's really kind of a combination of bullet weight and style and then velocity. And it could be stated very generally that a bullet that's traveling faster is going to have a flatter trajectory and yield better results at longer range um, and, and just be easier to shoot with accurately once you start stepping outside of that 200-yard zone. Um, so when you're looking at that, you know, we're looking for, say, 2,800 to 3,000 feet per second, some, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, and then, you know, the, the right type of projectile. Um, so if we look at a 30-30, most of them are pretty anemic on the ballistic coefficient figure. Um, so they're, they're pretty blunt bullets, round nosed. Um, even, even some of the spicier loads from like Hornady with their lever evolution, they don't have a, a remarkably high ballistic coefficient and their velocities are not scorching, you know, 2,200 feet per second to 2,600 feet per second in, a, in like a best case scenario. Um, we're not looking at a, a really stellar long range rig. 
Um, something that's kind of handy, though, is a lot of the rifles that you're going to be looking at for big game, like the rifles themselves, how they're they're built and, and structured are going to kind of tailor that fit. So a 30-30, for example, more often than not, it's going to come in something like a lever action gun. Um, some of them can be difficult, if not completely prohibited from putting a rifle scope on them. Um, you know if you're going to be hunting big country, um, if that's in the cards for you, you're going to be looking at something like a bolt action um, that does have the ability to put a scope on it. Calibers are going to be appropriate, um, you know, as available chamberings in them. Um, yeah, so hopefully that long yeah. diatribe answered that so, question. So a gun can shoot a variety, like a, a, let's just stick with rifles. A rifle yeah. can shoot a variety of different cartridges, right? Um, I mean, for, but I mean, okay, how do I say this uh, without like, I, knowing that I don't know anything about guns? Um, mm-hmm. A rifle can shoot, a, let's just say, a thirty out six. That's a rifle that I mm-hmm. know. All right, it can shoot mm-hmm. shoot thirty out six rounds, but then the projectile part of that can can be different. And the amount of oh, gun yeah. powder in yep. that in that thirty out six shell can be different, and for a variety of different options as well, right? Abs- absolutely, and that's a great great case in point. So with a, a thirty out six, you could hop onto we'll just say Hornady, Nosler, Remington, Winchester, any of the major ammo manufacturers, and find bullet weights from one hundred and ten grains all the way up to probably two hundred and twenty, and they're all going to be purpose-built for a given thing, whether that's varmint hunting, target shooting, um, like competition-style target shooting, uh, and then big game. And then within the big game category, there's even um, high points and low points from bullet selections to be cognizant of. Like, how is that bullet built? Um, and by that, I mean, there's, there's a couple different schools of thought and convention with bullet technology. And for the most part, in a cartridge like a 30 out 6 you're going to have that very traditional bullet shape, pointy on one end. Um, sometimes they have like a, a high-speed, low-drag plastic tip. Um, but if we were to cross-section them and cut them in half, they could look wildly different in that some bullets have a lead core with a copper jacket, and just simply put like that, some bullets will have a lead core with a, a mechanical, the, the word to use is partition, Nosler kind of pioneered that, just a mechanical block in the center of the bullet or near the center of the bullet. Um, and then some bullets are made out of a solid alloy, like a, like a zinc uh, copper alloy called gilding metal or solid copper. Um, and these have very different effects on terminal performance. And then you will also have to factor in how that bullet works at a given distance because of its velocity. Um, so yeah, a lot of stuff in the weeds there. Yeah. Um, as far as as far as picking the right projectile, and most of the companies are going to give you some indication of what that particular projectile is appropriate for. Yeah. Um, and they'll sometimes you know list a, a picture of an animal on there, um, like a very strong constructed bullet. Like I'm going to pick on the Barnes um, TTSX. It's one of my favorite projectiles to hunt game with. Um, you know, in 150 to 180 grain weight class in a 30 out six, that is a bullet that is appropriate for moose on down to to coos deer. Um, it, like inversely, if we were to look at a bullet, say, you know, the Hornady V Max in a lighter grain weight, that's a bullet that's appropriate for maybe pronghorn. It's pretty thin skinned, 
um, as far as the projectile construction or more appropriately, probably like varmints, like yeah. large coyotes, hogs, things like this. Um, and this just, this just comes down to how that bullet works or behaves when it hits soft tissue and bone and hide. Yeah. And is that result explosive so that we're trying to mitigate penetration? We don't want it. We just want something that's going to, to hit and kind of pop on contact. Or are we looking for a bullet that's going to hit, expand, retain, and exit um, to the best of its ability? Yeah. And and generally speaking, when we're looking at larger games, so I'm gonna I'm gonna constitute whitetails on up to to moose as large game. Um, we want a bullet that hits, expands, penetrates, and exits um, yeah. while while retaining as much of its fired weight as possible. Okay, here's a buzzword that I've heard before: stopping power. Sure. Um, what what does stopping power mean? Because mm. you just, um, I mean, you just mentioned, do you want the bullet to go through it, or do you want it to just hit like a hammer, or you know, a, a different variety uh, of um, of ways to you know kill the game that you've just shot? So, sure. does that have multiple meanings? Uh, it depends on who you ask. I I think th- if I had to guess the origin of the term, it probably came from. Um, early 20th century uh, hunters in places like Africa, Australia, places where we had large, large game and generally large game with hoof horn or tooth that could turn a person into grape jelly. Um, The idea and intent was probably literally stopping that cartridge. And there's a whole kind of get or stopping that critter, excuse me. There's a whole gambit of cartridges that are known as quote stoppers. Um, this is to include 470 nitro, 458 wind mag, 458 lot. These are these are cartridges adequate for species like elephant, cape buffalo, hippopotamus, and lion, um, where they they bring such a huge bore diameter to the table with such huge amounts of energy and and penetrating power and bone breaking ability that when they hit something. It, it stops them. Um, what does that mean for the modern, and I'm going to lump this into the North American big game hunter. It's a term I don't like to hang out with um, just because it, it just depends on so many things and, and whether or not you have this effective stop, um, you know, that lights out reaction to an impact. Um, I mean, that depends on where that bullet hit. What was the condition of the animal when hit? Was that animal alert to your presence? Um, was that animal not? Um, and then, and then, what kind of bullet? I, I would say I've had one shot stops with two twenty threes on whitetails, um, and I've had I had an antelope one time that I had to shoot multiple times with a three hundred Weatherby. Um, so shot placement was the the factor that I dropped the ball on, on that particular instance. But I don't think it's a term that necessarily exists. Like you don't hit a particular standard big game cartridge and it goes, okay, this one has stopping power unlocked. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's a fun term to throw around, but it's, it's one that's not real, like super realistic. It's not like there's a cheat code uh, no. that goes, okay. All right. So, yeah. you know, you talked there about enough, you know, you want to make sure you have mm-hmm. uh a firearm that has enough uh, of whatever it is you're trying to shoot. Is there uh, the conversation about having too much to where if I, I don't know, I just, for some reason, the movie Rambo popped into my brain where he has the, the explosive tips and they just, it blows things up. Is, is there such thing as too much 
power behind a gun for whatever you're trying to shoot? I, I think yes and no. I, so this is a double-edged sword. Um, with respect to big game hunting, can you ever dispatch your animal cleanly enough? The short answer is no. Um, you know, I've hunted pronghorn with 300 Weatherby. So we're, I mean, hellaciously powerful cartridge. Um, is it overgunned? Very subjective answer to that. It works very well. Um, the detractor to that though, is the effects on you, the shooter and why I think this is important. Uh, I'll give you a, a pretty close to home story. My, uh, neighbor growing up, good friend of mine, hopefully he's listening to this podcast. Um, decided he was going to start big game hunting with a rifle. So we grew up in central Minnesota. Um, we hunted with shotguns for deer and waterfowl and upland. So very much like you. Um, never got into big game, owned an AR. That was the, the extent of his riflemanship, if you will. Um, and said, hey, you know what? I'm heading west. I'm going to hunt elk, mule deer, pronghorn, the gambit. And the caliber selection and rifle selection debate came up. Um, and I, I kind of guided him into two schools of thought. Either you buy a moderately recoiling cartridge that's very affordable to shoot, or you buy something like a 30 out six, a 308 or a 300 Win Mag. We're going to go up in the recoil scale uh, with the latter cartridges. Um, and you're probably going to afford yourself a subtle amount of leniency with respect to bullet type bullet placement just because the caliber does have some more punch and on the light end of the scale i'd recommended the 6.5 creedmoor not because i think it's this thor's hammer of a cartridge because on paper it's actually fairly anemic um but it's how shootable that cartridge is and so there's another made-up term shootable but with respect to too much gun uh, the argument that i made was okay he's not an avid rifle shooter. He also does not have a lot of time to shoot rifles because he has a family and a job and all these things that, you know, most of us have, um, not expendable time left and right. And I, I implored him to go the six, five Creedmoor route simply because he could buy affordable ammunition. He could in a shorter amount of time, I think increase his efficacy with the rifle only because it's not beating him up physically and beating up his a 308, a 30 out six or a 300 wind mag where every shot is going to hurt enough to dissuade him from continuing to shoot. It, it's, it's very much like pulling bows. So like you, I, I hunt obsessively with a rifle. I have archery equipment for units that I can't hunt with a rifle. So when I went and got a new bow a few years ago, I was like, yeah, run it up to 70 pounds, man, I couldn't pull it back. Um, and so we dialed it way down. I became very comfortable at 62 pounds to the point where I don't feel I need to turn it up anymore. But it, had I rode the struggle bus and I was pulling a bow that was overweighted, it wouldn't do me any good from, from a shootability standpoint. I wouldn't be as consistent. I couldn't get the reps in. Um, and it, it would just be harder on me and my equipment. And so you do toe the line very similarly with archery equipment is going too much on the poundage side of the house. Um, same thing with rifles. Yes, you you can go too big a gun um, where you're not going to get in good quality time with your rifle just because it's going to beat the tar out of you and your wallet. Yeah. 
yeah, that's uh, and I mean, I don't. You don't need to be a, a gun expert to know that uh, ammunition prices these days, or availability of ammunition, yep. is uh, is crazy right now. Mm-hmm. Right, and and with the modesty mentality with respect to cartridges, you can do more with less. I I truly do believe that. I think a shooter that has had the ability to put eighty rounds downrange with a nice light recoiling modest cartridge is going to be more effective than one who each shot he is questioning his his purchase yeah. um every time you pull the trigger just because it's it's rattling your eyeballs loose yeah so um with your experience maybe you can speak on uh the customer service that you provide over there at uh at vortex but you know how how no, humans are but men specifically right yep. we want like I want to be able to open my gun case and I want people to look at it and go, Oh Jesus, he is shooting a cannon. You know, yep. you know what I mean? Um, is that, yep. a, is that, is, do you run into that a lot? Like people just, I, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Usually, usually in, in the sense that we see a lot of very high magnification rifle scopes utilized for even Midwestern hunting. Um, and, and part of it is again, if you open up a lot of these gun magazines and, and, hop on the internet and check out some of these forums there's there's somewhat of an obsession in the u.s with um i'm gonna call it like the sniper culture if you will yeah more tactical where yeah and there's definitely a time and place for those rifle scopes in the field and and admittedly i use what i consider like highly technical optics um on certain hunts uh but what i find my or at least me running into myself here i I find myself, oh, I'm going to say overcompensating with the optic, hoping that it's going to somehow solve problems that I have, whether it's accuracy or confidence at distance. And over the years of, of kind of refining this and going through trial and error process and, and probably picking up scopes that were too much scope, I found myself going lower and lower in magnification and and like more and more simplistic options yeah. um, saving for those certain units and certain tags that I'll have from time to time that, you know, I, I'm going to require the, the ability to take a pretty sporty shot. And then, then a, an optic that's, you know, super technical is going to lend itself useful. And for the archery folks out there, you know, a lot of the guys that I talked to here in Wisconsin, and I'm certain it's in Iowa and Minnesota as well, like the diehard archers, um, a lot of them will run a simple, like a three pin or five pin system, no slider. Like this set or this site is set in, in stone just for hunting yeah. Midwestern whitetails. Okay. Um, and then you have the other kinds of sites, single pin sliders that you can dial to 110 yards. Certainly not something you'd probably need if you're hunting heavy timber woods, things like this, or food plots where your longest shot might be 38 yards and you set it up intentionally. Yeah. Like what level or layer of complexity are you comfortable with? Do you need it? And and if you're finding yourself questioning these, ask yourself why. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So I want to I want to throw some scenarios out there, and yeah. you know, I, I think Ryan will uh, agree with me here that this is one man's opinion, right? There are so mm. many places out there for any topic, really, especially guns, where you can go out and you can have your own opinions, whether you're brand new or, um, you know, and a self-proclaimed expert at something, but I, I just kind of want to get your thoughts. If you were the person, if someone came up to you and said, Hey, th- here's my style of hunting. What, what gun should I use? 
All right. What rifle or, or, or gun should I use? All right. Yeah. So, so I want to, I'm just want to throw some scenarios out, out there for you. Um, and I want you to talk, uh, maybe on two different levels. I want you mm-hmm. to talk, uh, we'll, we'll lump beginners into one category mm-hmm. and then everybody else from moderate to super advanced into another category and then Mm -hmm. you can talk about price or you can talk about you know you can throw in whatever category or you can make this recipe your own and talk about whatever you want um Mm -hmm. so i think we'll just start here in the midwest right we we have there are places in the midwest we'll just keep it uh maybe minnesota iowa missouri and east so to speak Mm -hmm. whitetail hunter rifle what would be a, a really good beginner rifle and maybe caliber or i think did i did i say that right rifle and caliber for someone who is a beginner rifle hunter for whitetails sure so we'll start with caliber i think anything from 243 six millimeter creedmoor um seven millimeter odd eight remington 25 odd six 270 308 30 odd six any of these and even even the Creedmoors, which are interesting because they're kind of new, but what I call now classic cartridges, um, not big wallopers, lower recoil, highly effective. Um, all of those will absolutely do the job. Is that a uh, sorry to interrupt, but is yeah. is that a uh, are those products that a new beginner could practice a lot with to get comfortable? Yeah, for the most part. Okay. There's a couple of outstanding um, selections in that, and, and I'll target the 6.5 Creedmoor, the 308, and the 30 out 6. So the 6.5 Creedmoor, one, it's like the most popular centerfire cartridge in the world right now uh, for, for game shooting as well as competitive shooting. So there is, well, despite what 2020 and 2021 has left us with as far as ammo availability, pretty generally speaking, quite common cartridge um and you can get it in everything from a full metal jacket so if all your intent is just going out and getting reps on your trigger and reps on your bolt awesome choice and again prior to 2020 2021 usually very affordable um 308 military standard cartridge um you know since way back when um bulk ammo again full metal jacket stuff practice ammunition available under every rock um and you, then you can get some really, really dialed hunting ammunition. And 30-odd-6, it's been America's standby since 1906. Uh, two world wars under the belt. Um, there, again, tons of ammunition availability. If you're going to walk into uh, one of those classic gas stations that also sells bait and ammunition, cartridges you probably find on the shelf, those three. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, so then now let's take that same uh, – you know, the, the same swath of land, you know, Eastern United States. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and now let's talk to everybody else. You know, you you're not a, you're not a beginner anymore. You have some to a lot of experience. Sure. I still don't really deviate in my choice of caliber. Okay. Um, it's just simply because we're not hunting anything with teeth, um, or horn that is really going to be something to worry about. Um, and, and all of those cartridges are, are certainly capable for moose on down from big game. Um, there again, we would then put the precedence on bullet selection uh, for, for a, obtaining a certain result or achieving a certain result. Um, 
So yeah, the caliber selection I would say would probably stay the same. Okay. All right. Yeah. So let, let me ask you this then. When it comes to a game, how should someone pick uh what what caliber and or rifle they're going to shoot? Should they should they say, "Okay, well I'm a I'm an Iowa guy or uh you know, I'm a Illinois or Missouri rifle hunter. That's all I am. Uh, um, do I? Do you pick the caliber, or do you pick the game first, then the caliber, then your rifle, or how how do you go about that line of decision making? Yeah. So I like your I like your uh, layout there. So game. What are we hunting? Big game, deer. Um, so we know we need something probably six millimeter or larger. Um, as far as that caliber is concerned making making the choice a question that i often ask people when they when they do ask me the same thing is do you plan on ever doing anything different in that you know someday you get into big game hunting here in the midwest and you're like you know i wonder what antelope is like or i wonder what mule deer are like or elk buy yourself a little bit more than you think you'd need then um and instead of going with the 243 not that you couldn't hunt elk with it Consider a 6.5 Creedmoor or a 7mm 08 or a 308 or an odd 6, something with just a little more teeth behind it um, because you can always hunt down with it, right? So, yes, that that choice should be made based on what you're hunting and then that, that you know, individual caliber selection should be at that very moment and then do you plan on doing anything different in the future? Um, or... Is this a situation which you want to start hunting big game with your rifle, but maybe you also want to get into a, a local gun club shooting league, um, which these types of competitions are popping up all over the country in which um, you'll use your hunting rifle in a semi-competitive fashion. Um, then there's some choices to be made with ammo availability, recoil characteristics, trajectory, um, things that are going to be important in, in that arena as well. Yeah. Um, and then from there bullets and, and specifically what type and what kind. And, um, you know, this is one, uh, in fact, I was having this conversation with a customer over the weekend. He was asking me, he's in uh, Canada and asking me about over bulleting his gun. Is, is he making a poor choice selecting brand X versus brand Y? And here again, we, we have to enter a similar mindset of, is there such thing as too much gun? Um, and first, like light-skinned critters like pronghorn and whitetail and mule deer, can you overbullet? And I think in general, no. You can underbullet, that's for sure. Um, but but can you get a bullet too tough? Well, so long as it's a, an expanding projectile, probably not. Um, you know, it's it's going to do the task that you you intend it to do. It's going to impact. It's going to expand to some diameter greater than what it left its barrel. Um, and it's hopefully going to exit. Um, so do you need, though, as a, as a say, northern Minnesota or uh, northern Missouri deer hunter, need to shoot a bullet like the Barnes TTSX, solid copper, I mean, absolute rock star from a, a bullet integrity standpoint? Short answer is no. And in fact, the most spectacular shot I have ever personally witnessed on a game animal was in South Dakota. It was 572 yards and that deer folded like a $5 tent, and it was hit with uh, <laughs> one of those very inexpensive federal blue box, 130-grain soft points, like $17.99 a box out of a $270. Um, and the shot was just brilliantly placed. And, and like I said, the, re the results were just 
boom, down. Yeah. And it was like, wow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, your, your bullet selection should be dictated, I think, by species or where you're going to be or affordability, what you can as a shooter handle. And, and of course, whatever your rifle likes. One, one thing I have seen quite often is, you know, people like me talk about the merits of these spectacular projectiles. <clears throat> Not every rifle likes a given projectile. Um, and I had a, a customer bring in a gun that was shooting pretty poorly. Um, we went through everything top to bottom and couldn't find anything outwardly wrong with the rifle, with the optic, with the mounting um, platform, with with any component other than the ammunition. And just for fun, we went out and we got a box of this inexpensive stuff and lights out. That gun shot absolute bug holes with the inexpensive stuff. And, of course, in his head, he was thinking, well, shoot, is this enough bullet? to hunt elk with or I think he was either elk or moose I can't remember and and I said at the end of the day the important thing is does that bullet go where you're aiming and if that box is checked yes then aim for a spot that that bullet can go um, and he was successful without question afterwards so as far as ammunition selection what does your rifle like yeah. you know don't don't tee yourself up with a fragile bullet designed for target or varmint you know we want a big game bullet but don't think that you need to be pigeonholed into this, um, you know, this super heavily constructed projectile that costs two dollars a projectile. You know, try the inexpensive stuff catered towards big game hunting. Um, there's a reason, you know, its popularity is so outstanding because uh, they work. Um, and if your rifle shoots it, heck, run with it. Just wherever your rifle shoots it, make sure it goes. Yeah. All right. So that's like the east side or more more trees and and, and mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that now what about same game but out west where we're t- or i shouldn't let's not go full west yet let's go plain states dakotas nebraska uh kansas yep. uh um where there's places you can shoot as far as you, you know as far as you're accurate out to um mm-hmm. what changes mm-hmm. then especially for the new the new guy sure so here's where we're going to put an emphasis on practice. Um, and so do I shore that list up? M- maybe. I-, I would say a couple of cartridges will become outstanding. Um, and-, and one would be the 6.5 Creedmoor. Um, and then another, perhaps the 308 or the 30-06. And then we're going to allow ourselves some space for some of the, the higher speed, flatter trajectory cartridges like, say, 25-06, 257 Weatherby. Um, the new 6.8 Western, and then now towing the line even into some of the the fancier, I'm not going to call them full-blown race cartridges, but but the, the quick stuff, 280 Ackley, um, 7-millimeter Remington Magnum. Um, you have to ask yourself, you know, if you're going to dedicate to one of the Magnum-esque cartridges, understand that the recoil level is going to go up. The effectiveness downrange from like a trajectory standpoint and, and a wind drift standpoint is certainly going to go up with it. Um, but it is going to be a harder rifle to shoot. So, uh, I'm heading to Wyoming here next week. Um, and so I'll be taking with me a 6.5 Creedmoor, um, because it's a rifle that I can shoot very well, um, to 600 yards and in, um, trajectory is good. It, it emulates pretty closely that of a 300 wind mag. Now it's not bringing the same kind of horsepower to the table, but I'm careful with my bullet selection and I've got a rifle that I know well. So that's coming with me. Um, and then when, when 
I hunt those same kind of plainsy states. I am looking for a cartridge that can buck wind. So a bullet that's generally going to be a little bit higher in ballistic coefficient. You're going to see some darlings uh, in that 6.5, 7, and some of the 30 caliber options um, while still having a great bullet from like a construction standpoint. And, and then that velocity has got to go up um, in order to really kind of bring the whole thing together. And so things like 300 short mag, 300 Winchester Magnum, they're not off the table. Understand, though, that when you enter that realm, it's like it's like grabbing a bow with 70 and 80 pound limbs on it. You're you're going to have to get accustomed to it. And can you do that in a short amount of time um, if you don't have a ton of time? So when you're looking at that cartridge roster, now we're looking at figures like ballistic coefficient and we're looking at figures like muzzle velocity, understanding what they do to our downrange trajectory when we start putting distance between us and our target. And generally, if the, the figures are higher in those two columns, it's going to be a better choice. Um, so, yeah, honing in a little bit and then adding a couple like the the, the wind mags and the rem mags, um, it's not a bad option. Okay. All right. And then same scenario, but for for someone maybe advanced to, to, to moderate. So I get pretty laser focused here. Um, once you start getting into anything magnum, the differences between them are not astounding, not not at least until you get past, say, 600 yards. And then you start really seeing these drag racer numbers making tangible difference. But for an intensive purposes, I won't engage game beyond 600. Like it's, it's kind of a hard, fast line that I draw. Um, and it, it's not so much a, a personal ability thing as it is a what happens to bullets at certain velocity thresholds. Um, like what do they do if they're going too fast? What do they do if they're going too slow or, or inversely, what don't they do if they're going too fast or what don't they do if they're going too slow? Um, so here I, I really kind of find two outstanding options and that's 300 Winchester short Magnum and 300 Winchester Magnum. Um, I think those two cartridges are going to go down in history as some of the most versatile, um, advanced shooter guns like if you can handle the recoil there's nothing you can't do with those two rounds in in north america uh and there's there's others bracketing them on either side of the caliber um figure you know in the sevens and in the the big 30s and and 33s that that may bring more to the table from like a velocity standpoint or a uh you know a, a bc standpoint or a trajectory standpoint but you know, you start to get into these fickle spaces of can I handle the gun? Can't I? Is ammunition absurdly expensive? Um, is it available? Things like that. I, I would say if 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 you're that guy or gal and you're going to find yourself mountaineering um, or hunting places like Alaska or um, interior Canada, well, for that matter, I guess BC, you know, coastal stuff uh, where they have brown bears, those two cartridges are, are two to to hone in on um spectacular options gotcha okay um so let's uh let's make let's make our well before we get there you mentioned something about 600 yards okay Mm -hmm. um i'm a fan of youtube you go on youtube and you see these people (laughs) making crazy shots like i think i saw a guy shoot an elk at 1900 yards okay that is a ridiculous amount of distance with so much to go wrong. Um, is there a, 
I don't, I don't know. I don't know this because I don't gun hunt very often, but is there an ethical like uh, range? And I'm not talking about um, what, I guess you can answer this both ways. What is actually hunting at that point? And then mm-hmm. also what is like, is that pushing any type of caliber too far? So the first question, I don't know that I can't answer. Um, just simply because like I've, I've drawn that line in the sand for me over the, I'm going to say f- f- like 15 years of fairly serious big game hunting. One, because those opportunities are very rare. Um, I can, I can probably count on one hand the number of times that I had a shot that was even, even remotely doable from like an environmental standpoint. Like, do I have good wind? Um, or do I have Wyoming wind? Um, cause if I have Wyoming wind, I don't have, I don't have any shot. It's just not happening. Yeah. Um, and then two, again, we talked a little bit about bullets and what they do at a given velocity. And so to kind of answer the second question, is it pushing the boundaries for any cartridge? Well, that depends because there's some rip snorters out there that at 1900 yards will have incredible velocity retained. Um, and, and with the right bullet would theoretically work from like a terminal ballistic standpoint is that is that something i'm ever going to personally approach short answer is absolutely not um to your point something you said there that's that's pivotal is the amount of time from detonation to impact is very long measured in seconds at at extreme distances and and actually even at moderate distances can be measured in seconds and if we've seen how much room uh, even a whitetail can can make up in or how much distance a whitetail can make up in one second, what what happens to a well-placed frontal shoulder shot then when all of a sudden that thing takes two steps forward? Yeah. Now all of a sudden you have a worst case scenario of a paunch and you've just put a projectile through nothing but small intestine um, and a slightly better but still not great scenario of you hit it in the hips with the hips you might be lucky and anchor it um you might be really lucky in several several ephemeral artery um and then it'll be a a pretty quick death but it's this is not an easy this is not an easy thing to to do and and the further we have distance between us and target the further or the further difficulties we have compounded with making up a follow-up shot in the event that something goes wrong yeah that's a great point yeah. So, I mean, I asked the same question to you as an archer, you know, where do you draw your line um, with a with an ideal broadside shot from a tree? Yeah. Um, and, and then you sit and think about, well, what the heck is ideal? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? One thing that's kind of crazy about archery for me is and we're going to I want to get into sights with you in a uh, in mm-hmm. a second here. But for me, my sight only allows me to go up to 60 yards let's just say sure so that's where i'm ending it is my Mm -hmm. my 60 yards but with certain you know how people practice with like guns they can make adjustments and this is just from what i've watched they they make adjustments based off of their their sites where they can go okay well he's over here and like so that means i gotta go up a little bit more and they practice i don't know maybe they practice at longer distances just like a uh an archer does but for me 
my my last pin on my bow is sixty. So that's mm-hmm. where I that's where I end mm-hmm. at. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. So um, now we're talking. Now we have one more scenario scenario to run through, and I want to talk about big bigger game um out west or up in canada or alaska or whatever and you know now we're talking moose caribou um elk and maybe we can even throw like brown bear grizzly bear into that scenario sure so if you add ursus horribilis uh the brown bear in there um whole new element because <laughs> he can eat you yeah um so now I think my precedence switches to a rifle and a bullet capable of cutting through three to four feet of angry meat. Um, and something that, you know, if, if you didn't have an exceptional shot and you weren't able to brain cavity, something could that bullet go through and break rear hips, um, with, with a frontal, um, if you miss the head. Um, so we're starting to look at the 300 Winchester short magnum 300 Win mag is probably a minimum, um, looking into cartridges like 338 Win mag, 33 Nosler, 338 rum, 340 Weatherby, um, and then even up to the 37s. And I've got a, a customer from my past life that he loved hunting coastal Browns. And he would hunt with a 375 H&H or a 416 Remington, which are typically reserved for hunting the African or Australian continent. Um, But he was hunting bears um, that were, you know, 9, 10 feet long, huge animals uh, that could, you know, eviscerate a a person with very little trouble. And so he did want to make sure that he had a cartridge with him that with the right projectile could ensure – you know, a massive wound channel through the thing, uh, and, and try to break it down as quickly as possible in the event that something went south. Um, so for me personally, I think that that limit is exceeded beyond 375 H and H because now we start looking at trajectory and, and you could load a 416 Remington or a 416 Rigby in a fashion that you would have actually a pretty reasonable distance gun, but it's, it would be unconventional from like the available firearm standpoint. 375 H&H, on the other hand, is actually a pretty understated cartridge in, in its versatility in that with the right projectile, say 300 grade Nosler Acubond, it's not out of the question to have a, a 500-yard elk rifle. It It's pretty remarkable in, in trajectory at that um, and would be a pretty decent Swiss Army knife in the event that you're also going toe-to-toe with something that would like to make you into breakfast. Um, so good option there 330 win mag very similar situation a lot of horsepower remarkable trajectory gotcha okay yeah all right um so is there any is there anything out there is there is there like a pinnacle right is is there something that uh as a as a as a gun owner as a uh, a rifle hunter there is, is there a a combination or a gun that is just like the I've made it gun or I am I'm I have 50 years of rifle hunting experience and I'm going to I'm going to buy this or the, this this is the end of this of this journey. Mm. Well, I'm going to have to speak out of three sides of my mouth. Okay. From like a collector standpoint, for me personally, absolutely. It's a 1903 Manlicker Schoenauer carbine. 
Um, <laughs> That's a mouthful. <laughs> to be oddly specific. Yeah. <laughs> to be oddly specific. Um, and simply because the rifle is absolutely beautiful. Um, it's extremely old, 1903. Um, it's very tasteful its caliber is nothing to write home about um if you do any reading on um you know early 20th century uh african hunters and you read about wmd bell it was one of his preferred options for hunting elephant um when you look at the cartridge on paper you scratch your head um that's not what i'm going for it's just a very beautiful gun from the um from the amateur ballistician in me um, I would say it's probably residing somewhere around the 280 Ackley performance numbers. 280 Ackley, seven short action ultra mag, um, something in that realm where I'm I'm blending phenomenal traje- trajectory capability with the right projectile and velocity without going absurd in the recoil factor uh, of that equation or the recoil part of that equation. Um and, and having a remarkably versatile cartridge in that if moose or uh, antelope all are on the table. From the shooter in me, the more I shoot 308 Winchester, the more I ask myself, why do I own any other cartridges? Um, and this is just me. Uh, again, I'm drawing my line in the sand pretty hard and pretty deep at 600 yards. Um, I've shot the 308 Winchester to 1,000. Um, and everything in between and in the right rifle it's pretty darling um, and I, I have one that I find myself gravitating towards and grabbing more and more often um, and it's a Kimber Mountain Ascent 308 it weighs six pounds two ounces with the scope on it and three cartridges in its magazine um, and it is a delight to shoot and has never ever left me wanting more um, and from a versatility standpoint, I can load that with a 110 grain Hornady VMAX and I would have a pretty interesting coyote rifle. Um, or if I flew to, say, Alaska and I was going to hunt moose or caribou, I wouldn't be undergunned with a 168 grain Barnes TTSX. And if I had to shoot a bear in a pinch, I think it would work. I think it would work. Yeah. Um, so whether or not I've arrived at that point, I don't know. Well, actually, no, I know I haven't, simply because I'm obsessed with rifles and I continually add one um, to the roster every time I think I'm in some sort of deficiency point <laughs> in the in the argument. And that I think that's why I have so many calibers is because I can't leave myself alone um, and, and still think that there's something magical around the corner. Uh, the short answer is they all work. Like I said, I've, I've taken mule deer with everything from 243 to 300 Weatherby. Um, and a lot of stuff in between. Same thing with pronghorn, same thing with whitetails. Um, and they, they've all done the job. Um, whether one does one better than the other, I think that's up for some personal interpretation. But um, yeah, very hard to define, if not impossible to define, just because of the subjectivity there. Yeah. Um, but I find myself personally finding that rifle that's, and regardless of caliber, hyper accurate. And if you're a hand loader, easy to tune to. Um, and then super portable, which is why I, I, I've really come into loving lightweight rifles, um, like sub seven pound solutions. Um, and then one that is just absolutely confidence inspiring. That's that's the one you're going to pick up the most. Um, 
and you're going to use the most and you're going to have the most you know success and effectiveness with yeah absolutely great yeah. point all right and uh the last thing we have to talk about today and we'll uh we'll get through this fairly quickly but um the saying is right um it's almost like you should spend uh, when it comes to budget you know if you have a set set if you have a set budget right and that goes for the optics and the rifle you should spend the good money if that makes sense sure, on sure. the optics right is that yep. is is there any truth behind that working for an, an optics company yes and no um one of my favorite things i think is getting emails from um, our customers who don't have the budget to buy a razor um, you know the guys and gals that save for 10 years to do a western hunt and they're out and they're successful with a crossfire that absolutely lights my day up um, and there's nothing stating that you can't do it i think with anything though any piece of gear or equipment you purchase you do buy yourself some insurance in getting better gear there's a tipping point um, you you don't need to be hunting whitetails in the Midwest using mountaineering boots. Um, it, it may actually be a hindrance. So I, I'm not going to tell a shooter who's getting into this game that you're up a creek without a paddle if you don't buy a razor product. I, I would be simply stealing your money and not doing you service. I think that there's some reasonable balance to be found. And this is not just within our line, but any major optics manufacturer's line. There is that point of... Uh, you're getting your money and then some before you start going into diminishing returns to speak to our line. I think it resides in the Viper HS, um, that specific line. And I don't want to take away from anybody who's listening to this that has a crossfire two or a diamond back or any, or anything other than what I just stated. Um, uh, because if you're huntable and you're effective, fantastic. Um, but for me personally, that line is is the viper hs um and actually if we audit the majority of what i hunt with it's the same exact scope it's the viper hs two and a half to ten by 44. Um, so do you need to spend what you invested in your rifle on an optic to be successful absolutely not um, in fact many times you're better off saving it um, on an accessory like an optic and investing it in things like rings in good ammunition um, in tags, um, I, I could I could never in good conscience tell somebody if they went out and they saved and saved and saved to buy a thousand dollar rifles go or a rifle to hunt deer in you know Minnesota or Wisconsin or Missouri that they have to buy a thousand dollar optic for it. That that's just not that's yeah. just not the case. Modern manufacturing, modern optics are so good uh, when compared and contrast contrasted to optics even two decades ago that you are really getting a lot of bang for your buck, no pun intended. Um, and we see this across the board too, within our binocular line, within our rangefinder line, within our spotting scope line, you don't have to. And and for that matter, we don't want you to feel that you have to do that. Um, it, it's, it's just not our, our company model. That's not the, that's not the kind of thing that we're, we're out there preaching. Yeah. Um, we make an optic for everybody anywhere at any price point. Yeah. Good point. Good point. So let's run, let's run through some, I'm just gonna, we're gonna, this is speed round now. Okay. Yeah. So 
um, maybe suggestion or what you would do uh, in in this scenario. So mm-hmm. you just you just name the scope that you would put on uh, for these different scenarios. I think you already mentioned it, um, but the um, the the eastern uh, rifle hunter, south north whatever mm-hmm. whitetails. What uh, what scope are you suggesting at that point? Oh, Viper HS two and a half to ten all the way. Okay, all right. Yep, Dakotas, uh, Nebraska, Kansas. Uh, a little bit longer of a possible shot out there. Sure. What's what scope for that one? Um, same scope. If you're comfortable with low magnification, if you want a little bit more, um, and it's sensible. If you're going to be hunting bigger territory, it certainly helps or can help. Um, same line, Viper HS, 4 to 16 by 44, 4 to 16 by 50, or if you're looking to dial a turret, which if you can turn the radio up in your truck, you can dial a turret. Um, the Viper HSLR, LR denoting long range, gotcha. um, four to 16 is great option gotcha. on the slightly more premium side of things. The Razor HD LHT light hunter tactical, okay. very similar configuration. Uh, we put a precedence on optical quality and, uh, then em- employ a lift lock turret on there. So that's a, that's a heck of an option. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, when it comes to optics, uh, right. I mean, and optics doesn't really change like a bullet or trajectory or really Mm-mm. anything changes in, on that side of things. So does your answer to the South Dakota, uh, the plain states change when you're taking even further west up in the mountains and you're now going after the, the elk, the moose, the caribou? No, I would say that there are features in rifle scopes and, and us as well as the other major manufacturers will, will accomplish this and accommodate for this as well. But like reticle selection, I think is super important. So the conventional crosshair that, that I think most of us grew up with where we have two intersecting lines, it's wildly effective to your maximum point blank range. Beyond that, you're guessing um, unless you're dialing a turret. The convention nowadays is towards a like a ballistic drop compensated reticle or bdc and just about everybody's got one ours we call the dead hold bdc it's three simple lines beneath the center intersection of known value that when we cross correlate with a uh like a dope chart or a drop chart for your your given cartridge bullet selection and trajectory we can establish a yardage for each one of those lines so if i zero my rifle at 200 yards and let's just say I'm shooting my 308. My next line down is about 300. My next line from there is about 400. My next line from there is about 500. Plus minus probably 15 to 20 yards on either side of that line. Now I have a really remarkably effective and easy to use tool when I have some, some kind of distance between me and my target. Um, I'm not guessing. I'm holding to a defined point in space that I know that that intersection is here. Um, wildly wildly effective tool gotcha well i tell you what uh ryan man i really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on bs with us a little bit about uh about this i know that uh it's helpful for for me even to hear all this but if someone listening to this has more information or has more questions or or wants to reach out and and get you know pick your brain or anybody at vortex's brain where where should we send them so you can get us on any of the major social platforms, Facebook and Instagram, especially. Um, you can get us at info at vortexoptics.com. 
or you can call us at 1-800-44-TECHS. Um, any of the techs on the consumer sales and technical side of the house would love to talk to you about this. And like, like I said, this is, we're also very fortunate here because they pay us to do what we enjoy doing on the weekends. So we're obsessed with this kind of conversation and we'd love to have it. Yeah. And I will tell you this, um, Vortex is one of those brands that truly cares. I mean, I've been working with you guys for a while now, but truly cares about their end user. Right. And not, mm-hmm. and not just, you know, not just uh, making a sale, but like whatever success, whether you're just uh, a, a, an avid shooter or whether you're a sportsman in the, the hunting side of things, they truly care about the outcome of whatever your de- you know, desired outcome is. So, um, mm-hmm. so uh, get a hold of Ryan if you have any questions. Ryan, man, I really appreciate your time. Of course. Honored. And thank you everybody listening and and for you of course for having me on this is fantastic Mm -hmm.